0: Welcome into the July 21st edition of the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Warren Sharp. I'm joining the crew special today. It's 50-day countdown until the NFL regular season begins. We are so jacked up for it. We hope you are as well. Momentarily, I'm going to bring on the normal host, that voice that you're normally used to hearing, Dan Pizzuta, along with T.A. and Ryan McChrystal. But I just want to give you guys right off the top something special. As you know, we've released the 2021 football preview It's being received extremely well. We're so thankful for all the great feedback that we're getting on the book. We want to give something back to those of you who haven't purchased it yet, give you the final push to get over the hump. Use the coupon code ANGLES10, A-N-G-L-E-S, like the Sharp Angles pod, angles and the number One zero ten. Okay. Angles 10, get you $10 off the price. We are not advertising this anywhere else. It's not going up on Twitter. It's not going in any mailers. It's not going anywhere besides this podcast. So if you're listening and you want to check out our book, which is 462 pages in depth, previewing the 2021 season and getting you prepared for this year faster than anything else, you got to go ahead and use that coupon code and get the book yourself. Um, We're going to be talking today about teams that we are worried that are going to break our heart, and then we're going to dive into some of the coaching rankings that we did for the book. We asked all of these guys on this call, plus Rich Rebar, give us your top ranking of coaches, one to 32. And we did this for all the different position groups, and it's all in the book, and we've got analysis for every single team in the book. You're going to be able to check it all out, but we want to dive into some questions as it relates strictly to the NFL coaches. The other thing that I want to share is 50 days from the start of the season, we have opened up our subscriptions for the 2021 season. That's right. If you want the best NFL betting content that you can get in terms of accuracy and track record, I've been doing this for 15 years. The record is amazing. And we document everything after the games kick off. All the games are posted up there. You're going to be able to see wins and losses. It's fully transparent. Been doing this for a long time now. I know how to ensure that the records are documented properly. And you're not going to find a better long-term track record in terms of the NFL, which is the only thing that we're focusing on. We also have fantasy. Buy yourself the all-access package. You get fantasy. You get betting. You get props. There's so much in there. Looking forward to diving into futures very shortly as well. There's a futures package up there. Go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Click the purchase button at the top. You can get on board with any of our packages for the upcoming season. So that's kicked off. Use Angles 10. Grab yourself a book. We're so jacked up for the start of the season. Let's roll into it, gentlemen. The book has been out for a little over a week. You've had your time to recover a little bit, pursue some other distractions now that this is out of the way. I want to go ahead, Dan, and start with you, my editor for the book, the editor for the website. I know you love the Carolina Panthers. I know you've got a hankering for Daniel Jones and the New York Giants but I don't know if either of those teams are going to break your heart this season. I think we've all been there guys, a little bit of summer love. Maybe you go on a family vacation. You find somebody who's living in the apartment next door for a week and you kind of get to talking with them and you get a little crush going. Maybe you take a trip with the family who knows what happens, but the point is We've all been there with a little bit of summer love, and we're also worried that these people are going to end up breaking our heart. Which NFL team this season, Dan, do you like? And maybe you love a little bit, but you're worried they're going to break
1: your heart. Yeah, well, it's definitely not the New York Giants or Daniel Jones. <laughs> I think there's there's no love there if uh, anyone has been listening uh, to this podcast for a while. But yeah, I'll just dive into it. it is the Carolina Panthers for me. There's so much I want to like about this team, And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've. You know heard a, a lot of thoughts uh there there's there's so much i like about this team how have they been building that offense last year was you know a, a lot of fun and throughout like i remember warren last year uh, around this time when we were doing podcasts uh together that the panthers potentially could have been a, a top 10 offense in 2020 and like through like 14 weeks they kind of were uh then the teddy bridgewater injury happened then everything kind of fell off uh but the way joe brady used uh all, all of those guys uh, in that offense we saw rob Anderson kind of turned into this like great slot weapon you know Curtis Samuel was more in the slot I think DJ Moore was usually well so all of that kind of combined to an offense that was really good they were doing some cool things on defense and that's something we kind of talk about on this podcast teams that are doing cool things but don't necessarily have the talent to make them work and I think that was the Panthers on on defense last year I think that uh, the talent got a a little better so they could potentially be average and I think that would be a, a lot of fun but when you just come to think of it and Sam Darnold now as the quarterback, you know, talked a lot about this on the show. I wrote about this when the trade happened. Um, It just, there's not a lot to like there. Um, When you see what Darnold, Uh, has been able to do or really not been able to do during his time uh, in the NFL and even if you put Adam Gase aside just like from a clean pocket Sam Darnold has not been good throughout his career he was one of the few quarterbacks with negative EPA from a clean pocket last year that's not all on Adam Gase that has some to do with the quarterback Um, so when you just you know uh, unless Joe Brady is a complete magician I just I don't have a lot of uh you know, optimism for what this offense could be, even though there's so many pieces around this organization that I do like.
0: Yep, we we, we know you love the Panthers. So that doesn't surprise me that much that they would be the team. And, and yes, they absolutely have a difficult road ahead of them. What might make it even more difficult is I thought that their draft was not too bad, um, especially at the top. So uh, they have pieces there. There's a lot of reasons to be excited thinking this team's on the right direction. I'll go to you, Ryan, next. What's a team that you like, maybe you love, but you're worried they're going to break your heart this season?
2: Yeah, for me, it's the Seattle Seahawks. And I'll be kind of brief on this because my concern with them is something that's been talked about a lot over the years, and it's Pete Carroll's love of the run game. Um, But the reason I bring it up again this offseason is just that Carroll keeps bringing it up more and more and saying that he wants more of a commitment (laughs) to the run game. And it's especially frustrating, you know, especially after their draft adding Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. I mean, with Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Lockett, Eskridge now – that could be a really special passing game if they just committed to throwing the ball among the highest rates in the league. And yet he's sort of talking the opposite. Uh, You know, we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, over the course of his career, we've consistently been frustrated with the rate that he runs the ball. And if he's harping on it this offseason, you know, he obviously has full control in that building. So it's probably what's going to happen. So. You know, they're a team that I think they have the talent to be one of the most explosive offenses in the league. And yet it seems like Carroll might get in the way of actually producing that, you know, top two or three
0: offense. Yeah, no doubt about it. They were on my short list as well. Uh, I might've actually taken them had you not. So I'm going to go with a different team, but um, I definitely don't disagree whatsoever. This is a team that is is special with a very special quarterback. They were on the right path to being a pass-first offense like they should be um, until you know injuries at the running back position and, and, and the two-eye stuff that Dan talks about often uh, caught up with them and they just didn't have an answer, and Pete got involved and turned them into a run team last year. Once again, it's funny, though. In Jacksonville, you've got two coaches that have been fired by Pete Carroll for running the ball too much. Daryl Bevel is their OC and Brian Schottenheimer is a quarterback's coach. Both guys fired by Pete Carroll uh, for running the ball too much. TA, same question to you, my friend. Who do you love, but you're worried they're going to break your heart?
3: So I feel like this is a a Groundhog Day because uh, it's the Chargers, because it always is the Chargers, right? Um, You know, I've I've loved the Chargers for a number of years. I really respected Phillip Rivers. I have tweeted about it way too much, (laughs) How, how often I bet him and, Uh, Got my heart broken. But I mean, this is a franchise that is 16 and 29 in one score game since 2016. Uh, I think they were two and nine last year. They're constantly injured, right? They got uh, key injuries almost every single year. Last year we saw it with Derwin James before the season even started. Um, Austin Eckler during the year, uh, Joey Bosa they've been bottom six in adjusted games lost. When you look at the football outsiders injury metric the last couple of years. And I know that's just been an issue for them for a number of years. So it's like, they've got all the talent. They always do. Um, They're always, you know, in games, but they just can't close. And they just, you know, they break your heart. And so as much as I love Justin Herbert and loved watching him play last year, you know, there are signs that there could be some regression when it comes to, you know, his ability to, Um, you know, convert on third downs and convert under pressure. Those things are probably not sustainable. So, you know, they're getting a lot of hype and I love Brandon Staley as a new coach, but it just feels like, you know, as much as we all want to love them and think they could be a true playoff contender and, you know, who knows, maybe a Super Bowl contender. This is, um, you know, one of those franchises that always breaks your heart. So I'm afraid that could happen again. So they're definitely uh, tops of my list.
0: I don't blame you there either. Uh, you know, especially like we were talking with Dan with Carolina and their early part of their draft class. Uh, we really like what this team did in the offseason, and the Chargers seem to be on the exact proper trajectory. Uh, I was—I did a video yesterday for NBC about the fact that this team literally has lost a full season's worth of games by one score in the last two years. I mean, how do you lose 16 games by one score in a two-year span when you've got quarterbacks like Philip Rivers and Justin Herbert commanding the team? It's—it's—it's it's, it's just absurd and ridiculous. The coaching staff should be there, but we just need the variance to go our way a little bit, the injury luck, as you mentioned, maybe some better decision-making on those fourth downs. Um, For me, I'm going to go to a team that's in the same division. I'm going with the Denver Broncos because this team seemingly is a very well-rounded team, but for the head coach, sorry, the offensive coordinator who the head coach kind of uh, allows Pat Shermer to call things on offense. And I hate the way that Pat Shermer calls a game and it's the quarterback in terms of drew lock. And I, I don't think they're going to have Aaron Rodgers as QB one for the week one of this season. I just don't see that happening. Um, I would like to see Teddy Bridgewater get a legitimate shot here. Uh, Teddy absolutely has his flaws, but drew lock. I mean, unless this guy, I, I heard he's working out with, um, with, with uh, Palmer's brother, uh, Carson Palmer's brother. And I've heard that he's, Looking a lot better this off season, um, and to quote the Patrick Mahomes saying that he kind of messed up, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I'll believe Drew Locke has actually improved when I see it, and I don't want to waste losses waiting to see that happen. I just think that Teddy could probably do better here, but. Whether you're looking at the way that this team called plays on early downs or the execution or the decision making and how they had so many yards to go on these third downs and Drew Locke was just terrible. I mean, left and right, we wrote up about it in the team chapter in the book, absolutely discouraged by Pat Shermer and discouraged by the quarterback Drew Locke. Those are the only couple things that are holding this team back because they've got so much talent at all the skill positions. Their defense is solid. And we already know that Vic Fangio knows how to call the defense really well. When I look at the position rankings, you know, you guys ranked front seven, sixth best in the NFL. Their secondary is third best. They've got top 15 receivers, running backs. Offensive line is improved from last year. The only thing that's holding this team back is quarterbacks and offense coordinator. And I'm just worried they're going to. Do much of the same as they did um last year now it's going to be tough you guys talked about teams that could sneak into the playoffs or fall out like the afc is stacked when you look at the teams that are going to make the playoffs in the afc it's going to be hard for this team to improve enough to get there but if they get better quarterback play and better decision making i think they can Um, all right that kind of segues us perfectly into discussing a big critical factor that goes i think overlooked a little bit because we're such a Uh, media that's focused on players and studs and a fantasy world that's focused so much on all these different players and what did my player do today and how did my player do and and those types of things that we overlook, I think a little bit, the impact of coaching. Um, And coaches are so valuable and important and critical in terms of the highs and lows, how to weather storms, how to make adjustments, how to game plan for opponents. There's so many things that coaches do to help teams win games, even though they're not out there making a block, getting a tackle, throwing a pass, catching a ball, any of those types of things. It's it's absolutely vital. And so what we did this off season is we went and ranked all of the coaches one to 32. Now, to be fair, guys, we did not rank offense coordinators, defense coordinators, We weren't ranking staffs. We were factoring in, I think a little bit, The overall impact of that coach, at least I was um, on his staff and directions and how much he hamstrings his staff or helps his staff, Uh, but we were ranking these coaches specifically so we want to talk a little bit about first how you guys came up with those rankings so I'll kick it to you Dan. What was your strategy when you ranked these coaches? What were some of the things that really weighed heavily that you wanted to factor in a little bit more as you tried to rank the coaches one to 32? We're going to go around the horn here talking about the process.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, it's, it's hard to Actually, figure out what a, a head coach adds. Like we don't know what goes on in the locker room, but for you know what we know and can kind of measure and kind of take away, that's kind of what I looked at. So, what is this coach really adding to the team? Like, what what is his job, and and what is is there anything more he's doing than like a, a replacement level coach possibly would have done? So that, I think that was the heaviest thing that I did. What, what exactly is this coach adding to the team? And if, whether it's, you know, one side of the ball being the offense or, or being a guy that does empower, you know, better coordinators or something, just uh, looking at kind of what this coach is supposed to be doing and then what he adds on top of that, I think was, it just kind of ended up being my, my main factor and how I uh, made this list.
0: Okay. How about you, Ryan?
2: Yeah, it was sort of a balancing act with coaches. In some ways I thought it was easier. I had a pretty easy time putting coaches into like maybe three or four tiers, but then sorting them out, I found was a little bit difficult just because we have such a wide range of experience for everybody. So with the guys that we have more of experience, I sort of, you know, tended to put the guys where we have more information on have had success near the top guys with less um, at the bottom, but in cases where guys came in and had like an immediate impact, I gave them a pretty significant boost. So like Kevin Stefanski with the Browns, for example, I definitely had him towards the top just because we saw him come in and with relatively few roster changes, completely changed the dynamics of that team, especially on offense. They just looked more coherent. We could really see the impact that he had. Um, but one other thing that I did try to factor in, you mentioned how we didn't rank offensive and defensive coordinators, but I did kind of factor that in, especially with the younger coaches, first and second year guys, where we don't have a lot of information one piece of information we do have is who they hired. And with some of those hires, at least we have a good deal of information on them. So like, for example, uh, in Detroit, Dan Campbell, I had him ranked near the bottom. He hired Anthony Landis as his offensive coordinator. And, you know, if that's who he thinks is the best choice to lead his offense, I think that's, you know, a questionable start to his career in Detroit. So that's, you know, it doesn't mean that he won't be successful, but with limited information, that's the only piece of information we really have to me that was sort of like a tiebreaker with other coaches sort of like drop him down where I was like, maybe a little bit more impressed with some of the other coaches and their recent
0: hires. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, what about you, TA?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think a little, the guys touched on a lot of that. I mean, I, what I, you know, I, I think I um, discussed too much about how the coaches are just really poor at game management. Um, you know, we've talked about anything a million times. And um, so just having that knowledge and watching so many games, Um, understanding, you know, where coaches have made poor decisions, where I think are kind of negative uh, EV decisions or positive EV decisions. And when it comes to fourth downs and going for two, um, you know, managing timeouts. So that's kind of all been in my head for a while. So that's one factor. And the other factor is just based on the level of talent of the rosters, you know, have they underperformed or overperformed expectations? And so some of that is, you know, how they do against the spread. Historically, you know, we know like a Mike Zimmer led team has always done well against the spread uh, with the Vikings. And, uh, but they've also had a lot of talent. So, um, you know, it's balancing all of that. And then the, you know, the last thing is Ryan mentioned, it's tough with these new coaches because they have no track record, but I, you know, I noticed when we looked at all the rankings, you know, seven of the bottom nine, Ranked coaches are all first year head coaches. And I think the bottom four are all rookie head coaches. And so, you know, it's, it's, you got to make some level of projection. I think I was higher on a couple guys like Brandon Staley and Arthur Smith than everybody else was. Um, And that was just purely based on what I saw at those uh, when those uh, coaches were coordinators um, with their respective teams prior to this. So um, I tried to project out a little bit, not give them total credit, but, you know, give them some level of credit and how they rank uh, comparatively and how I think they will perform. Uh, So it was a, it was a tough balancing act, but I mean, those are really the factors for me that, um, that led me to, you know, to this, to these rankings for me.
0: That makes sense. Um, From my perspective, one of the things that I focused in on is what you can control that's going to most impact a game. And so I'm looking at fourth down decision-making and their tendencies. I waited a little bit the 2019 season for coaches that were there in 2019, uh, but mostly 2020. Um, I also looked at things that we know are smart, such as early down pass rate. Now for teams like the Ravens, I took into consideration that they didn't need to, but when you've got a good quarterback and your first down or sorry, your early down efficiency when passing the ball is strong, then If you're not doing it, that's going to lower you a little bit on my scale. I'm looking at motion rates. How often are you running into uh, eight plus man boxes and loaded boxes? The other thing that I looked at a little bit is, especially if you're an offensive coach, how are you with your scripted plays to start the game? And how are you with adjustments in the third quarter, like the beginning of the third quarter? How strong are you there? Other thing, as we're talking about sides of the ball here, because some of these coaches, obviously they get promoted to head coach when they are dominant um, on the defensive side of the ball, you go after a defense guy, offense side of the ball, you make him your play caller. Um, I'm looking at, how good is your side of the ball? Like if you're a defensive head coach in today's NFL, your defense better be damn good if I'm going to rank you pretty high. And I also want you hands off on the offensive side too. I want you to let your offensive guy be very creative. And if you're an offensive coach, your offense needs to be clicking really well. So those are some factors that um, I was taking into consideration when I'm looking at ranking the coaches. Um, And before we dive into like, I do want to kind of debate a couple of these guys on here, but I'm going to kick it to you, Dan. Is there a coach that ended up, once you went through and did your rankings, he was better. He ranked higher. He was closer to the best coach in the NFL uh, that you didn't necessarily expect him to be there beforehand. Like your perception of him was a little bit lower, but when you had to sit down and do this exercise, he ended up ranking higher for you.
1: Um, not really sure. I had a, I had a surprise, good coach, I guess. I, I think most of these guys are, are guys, at least in my top 10, really that I, I would have expected. I mean, uh, looking at it, you know, I had Stefanski in the top 10, I guess, but I, I think that's just, you know, seeing what he was able to do during that 2020 season, that offense, like you said, it's something if, you're an offensive head coach, you want to see an offense that really clicks. And I think just so much of, of what they do there, if you've, you know, listened to the podcast, the, the very specific thing in his theme when he just has that rollout to the left. Uh, I, t- I think I talked about it in the last podcast. I've talked about this, you know, a whole bunch. Just like that thing he've, he's added to the Kubiak offense with the quarterback rolls out to the left and, and is taking shots when he's bootlegging to the left. Like it was a thing with Kirk Cousins. I wrote about that for the site. It was a thing with Baker Mayfield last year. I, I just think he really understands what is needed uh in this game and obviously with you know the type of season that 2020 was for him to be able to uh, get all of that together and installed and for cleveland to have the success that they did i think that obviously you know shot him up to the top 10 so i think that was you know for me i, I guess the most surprising uh but you know everybody else i think we would you know think is this somewhat uh, um, uh you know a consensus top 10.
0: Yeah, there were a number of guys that like, I, I felt really strong about my top five guys. And we are going to run through those um, later on, I think, in this discussion. But uh, there was definitely this range, I would probably say from six to 12, where I could hear arguments that any you know a guy who's 11th or 10th should be sixth and a guy who's seventh on my list could be 11th. You know, like there were some guys that played around like that. I did have Stefanski. Um pretty high on my list, but, but Ryan, same question for you. You sat down, you went through your list. Was there anybody that surprised you in terms of uh, your perception versus reality when you did this list and, and he ranked higher than what you thought he might?
2: Yeah. At the very top, there really wasn't. I felt like it was pretty easy to come up with about 12 names that needed to be in the top 12, but there was someone that I kind of expected to be near the bottom and ended up kind of in the middle of the pack, which was Mike McCarthy at Dallas, Um, I sort of had a fairly negative impression of him going in. And then when I really tried to sort through it all, um, I guess I kind of had to, you know, look at the whole body of work and just be like, you know, he hasn't really ever like been a complete bust. Um, And in a league where we have a lot of coaches who are, um, that kind of kept moving him up the list a little bit for me. Once I, you know, put a lot of the rookies down at the bottom, a few of the coaches in there who look like they're probably right on the verge of getting fired had to be at the bottom Suddenly ended up with McCarthy ranked 18th, which if you just asked me a couple months ago off the top of my head to, you know, place a ranking on him, I probably would have had him much lower than that. So just kind of based on his longevity and his, you know, ability to at least be average, I guess, most of the time, uh, ended up, you know, I ended up with a slightly higher opinion of him than I would have.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Uh, I I, like you have a little bit of a lower uh, perspective on him, um, especially when we see what Aaron Rodgers and that offense was able to do without him, like how much was he actually adding to the mix and then what's been going on with Dallas since he's been there, Uh, but we'll see I mean 2021 is going to be a big year, Uh, for me, one of the things that I tried to do with this is not make this be about what you've accomplished in your career as a coach, but more so looking at it, like what are you going to contribute to this upcoming season as a coach that somebody else might not contribute? And one guy that ranked higher for me, and actually he ranked higher than, than any of you guys put him, you know, TA put him 10th, uh, Ryan, you put him 11th and Dan, you put him 13th. It was Frank Reich and Frank Reich to me, when I look at kind of, what he's had to work with and how he's had all these different quarterbacks that he's had to change up and do different things with uh, over the course of his tenure. It's been very difficult for him. You know, every single guy, whether it's like Jacoby Brissett all of a sudden, because Andrew Luck gets injured and and retires and says he can't play. And then he's going to Philip Rivers and now he's going to Carson Wentz. Like, you know, I'm really interested to see what he does for 2021, but I really like him, Uh, you know, obviously a lot of the things that are important to me, such as your fourth down tendency, such as your ability to be productive on those EPA per play on your first drive of the game. He ranked number two when I looked at this, Um, his explosive play rate in the first half of games, they were the number one offense. Um, You know, uh, the two things that I don't like about Frank Reich are he doesn't use motion hardly at all. And he runs too often into loaded boxes. Those are the two most strong criticisms of him, um, from my perspective, but overall, like I really have liked the kind of grounding nature, the, the, the settling down nature that he's brought to that team, um, and the quarterback whisperer capability that he's brought. So I'm really interested to see what he does this year, but, um, I didn't expect him to be quite as high as he ultimately was in my final rankings. Um. Same question, but in the reverse. Dan, who ranked lower when you wrote everything down than you initially thought? Maybe you loved him. Maybe you liked him. But when it came down to like slotting him in here, he was lower than you initially were expecting him to be.
1: Uh, So... You know, I guess that's an interesting uh, question. So uh, to kind of piggyback off what TA said about some of these, you know, first year guys, I basically, so part of my process also was I basically ranked guys who have already been head coaches and then the final rankings were the first year guys. I kind of did my preference in process between those guys, but they were just kind of automatically the last guys on the list because, um, you know, I don't think. Brandon Staley is going to be the 26th best head coach in 2021, but we know so little about him. I just, I couldn't put him over, you know, I think he's probably going to be a better head coach than Zach Taylor. Uh, But I have Zach Taylor 25th and Staley 26th just because of, you know, the way I I ranked in that process. Cause we just don't know how some of these guys translate to head coaches. We want to think that. So, you know, I have some guys, you know, lower there Um, in, in terms of that, I think, you know, I have John Gruden at 22nd, Um, and I think there's, uh, and it's part of, you know, going into what John Gruden is, right. He's kind of, you know, you know, Mike Mayock is there as the GM, but you know, Gruden's the, you know, he's the decision maker there. So I think, you know, I think Gruden is still a very good offensive play designer and play caller. And he does a lot of, good things on that side of the ball, like the Raiders offense has not been bad since he got there. I think we can you know, talk about some of the specifics of like how they used Henry Ruggs last year, but that was because, you know, Nelson Aguilar was a good deep threat because Darren Waller was there and doing good things. So I think there's a lot of good things he does on the offensive side of the ball, but in terms of being the head coach and as in control of that roster as he is, that leaves a lot to be desired. So his just total tenure as a head coach has kind of been a disaster and is really a, a bottom third in the league.
0: How about you, Ryan? What do you, what was a guy that ranked a little bit lower than you were expecting?
2: Yeah. So this is someone who I put in my top 12, as I mentioned that, I, I thought there was like kind of 12 guys that separated themselves from me, but he ended up being 12th. So a little bit lower than I would have thought that was Kyle Shanahan. And basically when I looked back at it, you know, we have a really high opinion of him and that in terms of how he develops his offense. And I agree with a lot of that. Um, But when you go back and look at, you know, he's entering his fifth year in San Francisco now. He's had one winning season. He's only ranked in the top 20 in scoring offense in one of those previous four seasons. We've seen a lot of consistent turnover on the offensive side of the ball, um, turnover in personnel on the offensive side of the ball. He seems to have struggled to kind of figure out who his guys are that he wants on that side. Now, maybe they, you know, head down a straight, narrow path right now with, when Trey Lance takes over and maybe the offense takes off. You know, obviously I have him, you know, towards the top of the league. I think he's a good coach. That seems very realistic, but based on what he's done the past few years and some of those struggles and getting a consistently coherent offense together in San Francisco, you know, that should have happened by now with four years in the league. And you know, I know injuries have factored into that and whatnot, um, but it seems like stuff that I would have if, his, if the collective opinion of him were, act, were the correct uh, assessment, you know I think a lot of people would say as a play caller, he's probably among the top two or three in the league. I think if that were really true, he would have overcome a lot of those issues on a more consistent basis. So I have him at 12 thinking that, yeah, he probably is in the upper half of the league pretty solidly. But if he were really in that elite tier, he probably would have covered up some of the issues that they've had with injuries and whatnot. And we would have seen a better offense already.
0: Yeah. What's interesting is, uh, is, is you have him 12th, Dan has him fourth. um, And I actually had him, he was lower on my list than I expected him to be too, which is funny because um, like if, if we were drafting guys, if we were drafting coaches to like take over a team, Um, if that was the, the intention here, you know, I would want an offensive guy and I would want a guy who could work with a, you know, with a variety of different players and build something that's a little bit different than what most of the NFL is doing. And so that would be a guy like, like him as well. And, and, and Kyle Shanahan is my favorite play caller in the NFL just to watch and watch his offense but he ranked lower in terms of the head coaching list than I expected him to um, as well. But I'm going to go to another coach in his division, the uh, another offensive genius that it's it's hard. Like if, if I wanted a guy to maybe run the team, I would be looking at him a little bit higher than this. But just when I went to slot everything out, he fell down at this tier. Uh, and that was Sean McVay. And, you know, Sean McVay to me he's struggled a little bit in his fourth down decision-making he's needed to be a little bit more aggressive than he has been um, and we're going to see this year without Jared Goff at the helm what he does and how much maybe he was limited by what Jared Goff was doing because obviously the year that they burst onto the scene and were using nothing but 11 personnel and taking the world by storm like everybody was raving about him as like the single best guy like the best blue chip new head coach that had come into town for a while Um, for me, you know, maybe this is Jared Goff related. I don't know, but their early down pass rate was really bad and they ran the ball a high amount last season with terrible results. And they could have easily skewed more towards passing the football where they had a lot more efficiency, um, but they just weren't able to do that. Uh, Their, their EPA per drive on the first play of the game is only ninth. Uh, Their EPA per play, um, in the first five minutes of the third quarter is fourth worst of any team in the NFL. They run too much into heavy boxes. Um, their explosive play rate is bad. They had the third most uh, yards to go on third downs. So, like these are some issues that um, if you're an offensive guy and these are the results that you're bringing to the table, like I am going to count that heavier against you, Um, than ordinarily I would I also feel like it is a big challenge and we're going to see it this year you know Brandon Staley obviously did some very unique things with that defense and is now somewhere else Um, when you're an offensive guru and your defensive coach leaves town and now you know, how do you manage everything? Andy Reid's had to figure out how to run a team and call plays for a while. Some of these younger guys, like, I think it is a little bit of a struggle. And especially if the defensive coach leaves town, like who's calling the defense, how connected are you to that side of the ball? Um, how are you at like running your team when you're trying to put so much into the offense? Some of these guys are better at it than others. So I know all of you guys ranked Sean McVay top six. Um, And TA even had him third best. But for me, he ended up being a little bit further down the list um, for some of those reasons. And in hindsight, like I could see logical arguments for why you should put him at six. But for me, he was was much lower on my list than I was expecting. Um, I want to talk about next teams that won their division last year, which one had the lowest ranked coach. But before I do, I want to remind everybody, Use coupon code angles10 angles10 and you can get $10 off. We're not mentioning this anywhere else on the 2021 462 page. NFL football preview that I worked on, that Dan worked on, that Ryan worked on, the TA worked on, that Rich worked on. We spent a lot of time developing this book. We think you're going to absolutely love it. So highly recommend you use Angles 10 to go ahead and pick up your copy today. If you haven't already done that, Dan, I will throw it to you. Who won the division last year? And we got the list of, of guys that won the division. Sean McDermott. I'm going to go AFC first. Sean McDermott, Mike Tomlin, Mike Vrabel, Andy Reid. Over in the NFC, we had Ron Rivera, Matt LaFleur, Sean Payton, and Pete Carroll. Which guy ranked lowest on your list of coaches based upon your rankings, and why was that?
1: I think now that I'm looking at my rankings, I think it's uh, it was Mike Vrabel. Uh, And, you know, not much against Mike Vrabel, but just in terms of when you're looking at, especially, you know, against those other coaches, um, I just kind of think Vrabel as, you know, the the defensive coach um, and defensive slash CEO type coach, just I think what he brought to the table had the less to do uh, of The team success. Um, I think we we saw, you know, so much of what Arthur Smith did on that offense. That was really what, you know, dragged uh, the Titans to the playoffs. Uh, I think you look at how much Tennessee struggled on defense last year, and it probably is going to uh, again this year. Um, So when you look at just uh, what that did he was about average and you know this fourth down decision making he's made some very conservative you know fourth down decisions but overall you know was about average so not going to take too much away from him there but just in terms of you know all those other coaches just because we're talking about such a small uh, group of coaches and because they made the playoffs most of these guys are fairly successful um, but I think when you just oh, look at that I just think Vrabel has you know I think so much of that was tied you know to the offense and we're going to see what that is going to do with you know Todd Downing now taking over for arthur smith on that side of the ball and if defense is still going to struggle then i i have some you know concerns about the titans going forward
0: yeah no doubt exactly what we talked about if you're going to be a coach that specializes in one side of the ball and your side of the ball is a liability for a team then that, that doesn't speak very highly of uh, of what you're bringing to the table and it's not as if this has just been a one-year deal uh, for him either on that side of the football now a lot of things that people remember, we always have these memory biases and things that we remember a little bit more in the front of our brain. And we think about like that intentional penalties that he's taken and some smart decisions that he's made along the way. But um, really, when you look at body of work, I don't disagree with you, Ryan, how about you?
2: Yeah, for me, it was Ron Rivera, but I had Pete Carroll, Mike Rabel, Ron Rivera, 14th, 15th, 16th. So I kind of had them all like right in a little <laughs> tier together right there as guys where basically I had to give them some credit for their recent success, but I'm a little skeptical that they deserve all the credit for it essentially. And, you know, like Dan talked about with Vrabel, you know, how much of that was Vrabel, how much of that is Arthur Smith. I think we'll learn a lot more of that this year with Pete Carroll, you know, like I talked about at the beginning, it often seems like Russell Wilson's carrying the offense in spite of Carroll and with Ron Rivera. Now, Washington had a great defense last year. But his final three years in Carolina, I still have to factor that into the equation a bit. You know, they struggled, I think, three of the final four years, they were towards the bottom in uh, scoring defense. So, like, it really tailed off, and that was, like, a big reason why um, they soured on him in Carolina was the defense was no longer, you know, a top-tier unit there. So, you know, Rivera could certainly climb if he reestablishes himself as a great defensive coach in Washington if he can carry that success into this year and next you know, maybe he's a guy that rises again in the next couple of years. Um, But yeah, all three of those guys grouped really closely together because, you know, you know, having them in the upper half, I'm obviously giving them some credit to the success that their teams are having, but I'm just a little skeptical that they're necessarily the reason for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me to add a quick second on uh, Ron Rivera, some of the comments that he has made just really are scary in terms of analytics, in terms of decision-making. It just, doesn't make any sense. The old school mentality uh, that sometimes these guys like let out of their mouth. It's really like, these are the kinds of things that tarnish the opinion a little bit in some cases. So um, yeah, he was a little bit further down the list for me. I don't disagree with you guys, with either of you guys whatsoever, because um, I had Pete Carroll a little bit lower um, than I was expecting. Uh, and and same thing with Mike Vrabel, uh, a little bit lower and, and Ron Rivera. So those three guys for me were lowest on my list uh, in terms of guys that made the playoffs, won the division last year. Uh, so looking forward to this year, what teams could get out of their coaches. Like those teams might take a step back purely as a result of of their coaches. Um, I want to do this. We didn't plan to do this, but let's just bang this out real quick. I want your guys' top five coaches. Um, I think we had a lot of guys that were common here but let's let's hear Dan what was your top five in order
1: Uh, my top five went Belichick Reed uh, John Harbaugh Kyle Shanahan and Sean Payton
0: okay what what was was there a deciding factor for you that put Belichick over
1: Reed yeah I just kind of think the the, the longevity I think of, of Belichick, I think there's, I think more has to go wrong than just the 2020 season um, for me to not still consider a Belichick, the, the top head coach, but I mean, there's, I don't think there's a huge gap there right now. So, um you know, it's just, I think just the overall track record uh, for being so good for so long uh, innovative things. I mean, I think we, we kind of talked about this a little bit, even when, you know, this, you know, team wasn't very good last year, Uh, you know, you had so many linebackers out for New England uh, they shifted to you know really heavy dime defense they were using seven defensive backs you know more than any other team in the league so they were they were still trying to figure some things out it didn't exactly go well uh, but I think he's still uh, adjusting uh, well to what he does so uh, I think I'm just going to it's one of those things where I'm just going to have to see a, a lot more uh, a poor performance from New England to, to uh, bump him down
0: okay Ryan what about you
2: yeah, so my order was Belichick at one, then Reed, which I think all, almost all of us had, those one, two. Then Harbaugh, three, Sean Payton, four, and Mike Tomlin, five. And I think Tomlin is the one that I differed on most. I think I may have been the only one with Tomlin in my top five. And he was one the one coach where I kind of went outside of um, my, the criteria that I had been relying on for most of the other coaches with him and sort of gave him a little bit of a boost just based on how he's managed the team and how we've seen guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown really be, you know, kind of difficult to get along with and whatnot once they leave. And we just never heard a word about that in Pittsburgh. And I, so I just sort of think, you know, he must be doing a lot behind the scenes to keep such a, to, to keep that team together, basically, knowing that he was dealing with those egos in the locker room, knowing that Roethlisberger is also another guy with a big ego, but doesn't seem to really ever cause problems in the locker room. The way that he juggles all those guys um, and consistently has that team be, you know, really seem to be causing some of the least problems in the league. We hear about issues in locker rooms every year and it just, it almost, it seems like it's never Pittsburgh. And yet when some of those guys leave, we've seen them become problems. So, that's was sort of like a wild card criteria that I threw in for Tomlin and maybe bumped him up one or two spots compared to where other people had him, just sort of giving him a lot of credit for what he does in the locker room that we don't see but can reasonably believe it's happening and he's very good at it.
0: Yeah, for me, I did put him in my top 10. I actually put him number nine, which was the same as Dan. Um, you know, there are too many issues, like in terms of ranking him top five for me issues with regard to like this team doesn't get up for a certain opponent um, that, that, that kept me from putting him that high. Also some of the game planning and the decision-making like how they drop sometimes their defensive game plans for certain opponents and just they're terrible and they do the same things. Year in and year out that don't seem to work against certain defenses. Um, There were just a a few warts that bothered me a little bit, but I actually was a little bit surprised as to where I put him because when you look at a lot of the analytics and, and some of the other factors I wouldn't ordinarily have him this high, but I still needed to get him inside of that top 10 to never have a losing season there to deal with all the head cases. As you mentioned, guys that have left town as well as guys that are still there, such as Ben Roethlisberger and some of the issues that, that he has. And, you know, he, he has this almost like this Brett Favre tendency to like always question or threaten retirement or always wonder about that. And, you know, you have to manage these types of things as a coach, like, I feel like Tomlin does a lot of things, like you said, probably behind the scenes that we don't necessarily see or hear. um, And absolutely, in my opinion, is a top 10 coach. I know TA put him outside the top 10, uh, but everybody else put him as a top 10 coach. And I think rightfully so. My top five, I actually had Andy Reid over Bill Belichick. Um, That was looking forward type thing. Um, looking at the way that the NFL currently is aligned from an offensive perspective, and I want a guy who's super creative and makes life really easy on his quarterback. I've also seen we 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 all have Andy Reid take on that difficult task of I'm an offensive guy. I'm calling the plays. I'm really dialed into my offense and my quarterback, but I also know how to manage a team. I can also deal with the defense and the media and special teams and all the other things that offensive play callers that our head coaches have to deal with. He's shown the ability to do that multiple Super Bowl trips. Obviously won the Super Bowl in 2019. Um so he's shown the capability of doing that. I actually have John Harbaugh high on my list too. He's number 2. I think you guys all had him number 3. I put him as number 2. Um Talk about like leaning into a totally different style of offense because you have a different quarterback, and how to raise the 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 floor and the ceiling of that offense very quickly. I was just amazed by how willing he was to change up everything. Like you look at the Patriots last year, you know they had Cam Newton in there. Um, I was thinking they might run Cam Newton a little bit more. I was thinking they might do a little bit more with Cam on the ground. Obviously, they did once they got inside the five yard line, but. Um, I was really impressed with you know the way that they committed to the strategy to enhance their offense and to play to Lamar's strengths. I also think he's smart they go for it a lot on fourth down they do a lot of the analytical things that you know Bill Belichick has done but Belichick has gotten a little bit more calm in the most recent years in terms of what he does on these fourth downs and and John Harbaugh they lead the NFL they are the most aggressive team. Uh, in that respect, they get out the halftime leads. They make that a massive priority. They're really good at the beginning of the third quarter offense, defense, special teams, like with their adjustments that they've made, they use a shitload of motion. So I don't know. For me, he's number two, Belichick's number 3 I'm not trying to say like decisively he's significantly better than Belichick, but that's just where I ranked him a spot higher. It's not a big deal. Uh, Peyton, number four, top five with all of us. Uh, Peyton was number four. And I actually had uh, McDermott slotting in, Sean McDermott at number five on my list. And, And once again, you have a defensive coach. His defense wasn't nearly as good last year, but for several years, that defense carried this team. The offense wasn't all that great. And then you had a guy like Brian Dayball go to you and say, Hey, I know Josh Allen coming off of 2019 wasn't the, the, the most accurate quarterback still. We had to build the offense around him a little bit and play to some of his weaknesses and try to uh, do some things that really wouldn't compromise our team quite as much. But you know what? I know it's a pandemic year. I know we don't have the same off season. I want to fucking chuck the ball. I want to throw the ball a ton on early downs. I want to do everything that you used to be scared of doing, Sean, because you're a defensive guy and you didn't want your offenses to do. And Sean gave Brian Dayball the leash to do that and just said, go for it see what you can do offensively. They came out the gates this year and were much more aggressive offensively with their pass rates, with their offensive concepts um, and really changed things up. And I think that's a testament. Of course, Brian Dable did a great job. Of course, Josh Allen showed massive improvement. Both those guys deserve credit, but McDermott didn't have to give them that leash to do that. And he did. Um, and if, they were more conservative on offense with the way that this defense play defense played last year. There's no chance they would have been making it to the a f c championship game so um they needed that, and that's why I've got uh McDermott there slotted in for me at number five. I'm excited to see what he does um all right, guys, I think we've covered a ton talking about these coaches. It was a fun exercise and if you guys want to review where we have ranked all the coaches in the league from your favorite team and how they compare as well as get some analysis ryan wrote up the section analyzing all 32 nfl coaches it's in every single team chapter each of these team chapters is like eight pages long in the book just get the 2021 football preview book it's up at sharpfootballanalysis.com use the code angles 10 and you're going to get ten dollars off nobody else is getting ten dollars off the book right now only you, because you're listening to this podcast, are getting ten dollars off, gents. Anything that we missed in terms of talking about the coaches?
2: Just one other thing that I wanted to add to your conversation about Buffalo. I just I wanted to say, you know, they deserve so much credit for not only the success that they had last year by being more aggressive, but the timing of all of it, the way that they were patient with Josh Allen. You know, I, I also had him near the top. Can't remember exactly which number, but definitely in the top ten, and that was a big reason. Was not only did they have success last year, but they seemed to have the perfect plan for bringing that offense along and bringing Josh Allen along.
0: Yep, I agree. And and for everybody who might be wondering where we've got Bruce Arians, who just won the Super Bowl last year, um, for all of us, he's right around top ten. I mean, Ryan had him number eight, Dan had him number eleven, Ta had him number eleven, I had him number thirteen. Um, I love Bruce Arians. If you're going to ask me who is a coach that you actually legitimately love, like think that this dude is a great coach, like you just you just love the soul of this coach and you wish good things for him, um, Andy Reid's at the top of that list for me. Uh, but Bruce Arians might be number two on that list. Like I'm just so thrilled at the last two Super Bowl champion coaches that they get the rewards that they have so long deserved. For their what they've done at all levels of coaching, not just inside of the NFL, but but for those guys to win the Super Bowl the last couple of years, it just you know it makes you smile. Like even if you don't like the Bucs or you don't like the Chiefs, how could you hate the fact that Andy Reid finally, when he does ultimately retire, can retire as a guy that won a Super Bowl. Uh, and same thing uh, with Bruce Arians. I'm so happy for him. Dan, any final thoughts on the coaching?
1: I. No, I don't think so. I think, I think one of the interesting things is like some of the part of the McDermott thing is also like these, these culture builder type guys where we saw them come in and it's like their first year is kind of like a a year zero, really. Uh, I know like that's a term used more in like college football. When some of these coaches take over, it's like a, a year zero in this building program. And I think we've seen some really good coaches start to, you know, take what was a little bit barren and start to build it up. And I think McDermott was one of those guys. They kind of really took over and started to build up what Buffalo could be. I think Brian Flores in Miami, um, you know, was one of those guys. Really, it took over uh, a franchise that was – had really nothing uh worth really you know writing home about and they started to to build and build and i think we look at someone like flores uh who you know maybe one of the most conservative coaches in the league when it comes to four downs which is probably something you know we would all look at but i think we all like him because of so much of how that program uh has been built i you know i um, going to be a little biased here but I, I think matt rule could potentially be like one of those type of guys so i think they those were the, kind of the, the tricky guys uh to come down on i think like we all really had mcdermott in the top 10 i had him eight so it's it's guys like that and they're the interesting guys to you know keep an eye on where they're they're main goal is to start building these things. And I think they came in from, from such a lower place to start than, than some of these other guys. So I think some of those guys are going to be really interesting to see You know how they keep going. Flores in Miami specifically of how they're really trying to you know get year two of Tua right now uh, going with a lot of what they added uh, on offense to see if they can keep that defense up because I think they do a lot of cool things uh, on defense. So uh, it's something like that. I'm, I'm really interested to see Brian Flores specifically uh, where he's going to be ranking uh, when we do this again next year
0: yeah i don't disagree i actually slipped Flores into top 10 i I, when i was trying to rank these coaches i said i gotta get flores in here into the top 10 just how do you tank but still keep up the morale of the guys that you've got and then get players that you want and then build and turn that around the corner and build a winner in the culture there's a lot of things that they need to improve on tweaks that they need to make offensively but i look you guys, I think, all had – I was the only one, I believe, that had uh, Matt LaFleur ranked – sorry, not Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur was top ten um, – Sean McVay ranked below Brian Flores, but when I look at, you know, the job that Brian Flores did in two games against Sean McVay's Rams offense, like they completely annihilated him, obviously, last year, won that game when Tua's very first start in dominant fashion, and then you got the Super Bowl, where where Brian Flores, along with Will Belichick, helped design a defensive game plan that completely shut down this ultra explosive offense that the Rams had at the time. So uh, for me, like I've got Brian Flores ranked higher than McVay. It's not just because of those couple of head to head battles, but uh, that doesn't hurt anything either. I think he's pretty high. And a couple other guys that were in the top 10 that we didn't discuss um, at least for me. And I think actually, yeah, they're both in your top 10 as well uh, would be Stefanski who we mentioned a little bit. And then uh, the floor in green Bay. And I think both these guys, they're, they're younger at coaching. They're a little bit new. We don't know as much about them yet, but they've certainly have shown promise and a lot of pressure is going to be on the floor this season to see what they can do. If Aaron Rodgers isn't their starting quarterback, but absolutely think he's done an excellent job to date. Um, and, and that's the thing. These aren't chiseled in stone is where we think these guys are right now. And, um, and, doesn't mean that we love them, would defend them regardless of anything. It's important to point out issues that we have with these guys. Nobody is a perfect coach. Uh, and, And speaking of issues with coaches and things that they do well on page 27 of the 462 page book, there's a section called strategic coaching markers, and it ranks like 12 different things looking at All the different teams in the NFL, what they do on fourth downs in terms of their tendencies, their early down pass rate, the edge that they gained in efficiency when they chose to pass the ball on early downs, their EPA per drive on the first drive of the game, their third down yards to go, their explosive play rates, motion rates, run rates into different box size, ability to bring up uh, and get halftime leads, decision-making at the early part of the third quarter efficiency in the early part of the third quarter, a lot of different elements that I think coaches play a big role in. Um, those are listed here. One to 32 for every single team. So highly encourage you guys spend some time looking at that page. Highly encourage if you haven't done it. So already grab the book at sharpfootballanalysis.com. These guys are going to be jumping on a podcast again next week, next week's podcast. We're going to be talking a lot about training camps, and the storylines that we're looking forward to this season is here guys. It is, it's no longer summer fun time. In my opinion, it is study hall time. You better be studying this book. You better be starting to think about NFL futures. If you haven't bet some already, think about where you want to go, get ready to start following player news in these training camps, only 50 days to the start of the NFL season. We're really excited for it over here at trip football analysis. The whole team is, Highly, highly encourage if you want to be betting on football this season, better be getting on board with the stuff that we're offering over at Sharp Football Analysis, my picks and analysis up there years and years of of track record and success. SharpFootballAnalysis.com, get on board with a season package uh, and check out Rich's stuff. You can either buy a fantasy only package where he's going to be starting to put a lot of stuff behind the paywall. And that's the other thing, Dan, you know, we need to mention Rich has a ton of stuff up there, rankings and everything. You don't have to pay a cent for it. Just go to sharpfootballanalysis.com, click the fantasy tab. Tons of analysis from Rich up there right now. Stuff will start to move behind a paywall, so you will want to have a fantasy subscription. Grab yourself an all-access subscription, get you all of Rich's stuff, all of my stuff, all of our props. It's the best bang for your buck for sure. For TA, for Ryan, for Dan, I'm Warren Thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you guys next week. 50 days until the season kicks off. Can't wait.